Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening. For those who don't know, this show is made possible by the patrons at patreon.com slash Keith Burgun. I especially want to give a shout out to my silver and up patrons. That would be Master Knight DH, Ecton, Simon Williams, JP McDivitt, Ella, Michael Rader, Zachary Bergren, Pauline Schneider, and Robert Cedar. And thank you to all of my patrons who make it possible for me to spend time uh, making articles, uh, podcast episodes, doing a daily show, and of course, making games. If you enjoy what I do, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Keith Hello and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm Keith Bergun, your host. And uh, today we've got a couple of different topics to talk about. There's no guest today. This is one of those um, let's just talk about game design kind of uh, episodes. Um, up front, I have a little bit of like news and updates real quick. And then we're going to get into talking about emergent complexity in games. Um, and uh, that's been a topic that's been coming up over and over again when I'm doing the Daily Show, uh, the Clockwork Game Dev uh, show on Twitch and over on the Discord, which, uh, as always, you're welcome to come by and talk about. Um, so we're going to get into that. That's going to be a good one, because that's a really important thing that I guess I sort of feel like we take it for granted, but um, then I go and play games, and I'm like, oh, I guess maybe this is not like as much of a given as I, I sort of think it is. So first up, let's do the housekeeping stuff. Um, Dragon Bridge is still, you know, in the works. Um it's, it's kind of frustrating because uh, this is my first card game and uh, uh, I, the, I I made the assets in Photoshop, which everyone says you shouldn't do. Uh, it's partially because it started as like an 18 card uh, strategy game jam game and then moved into becoming a, a real production game in a very short period of time. Like there was two months in which that I made the game from scratch. So... Uh, I'm dealing with some issues about that and just, you know, kind of communicating with the printer and figuring out exactly what the specifications need to be for the assets that I send in. It's been very annoying. And then, you know, like the whole coronavirus thing also complicated it even more. So uh, that's been difficult, but it's still coming. It's still going to happen. It'll be delayed. Uh, I'm not sure exactly by how much yet, uh, but we will find out. Um and, uh, yeah, so, so other than that, I, you know, I have like distant thoughts of doing like, like a Dragon Bridge 2 or something at some point. Um, I have some ideas for what that might be like. Um, and, but that we're putting that aside for now. I have other projects going on. I've been working a lot on Gem Wizards Tactics. That's like my main project right now. Um, I do a lot of that on the Clockwork Game Dev Show, which again runs Monday through Friday uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, you should come by. It's on twitch.tv slash Keith Um, So I've been working a lot on Gem Wizards Tactics. Actually, over the last uh, month or two, the game has gotten so much better looking and better playing. The UI, the controls, everything is just like so much better now. Um, and the art. Um, we're also now working on um, the Potato Faction. That's the second faction. Uh, we went through the uh, business demons and just um, with specifically the mission of increasing their emergent complexity. Um, the Potatoes are going to go through that as well, I'm pretty sure. We've already kind of run through a couple of uh, iterations of the Potatoes and uh, what how they will work. Uh, they obviously haven't been play tested yet. They haven't been implemented. So that's going to happen. Um, the big thing with Gem Wizards Tactics, which, um, 
if people don't know, that's my turn-based tactical squad war game uh, that is coming out. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a Patreon release schedule for that. So if you didn't already know, patrons of this program, patrons of my, my patrons, uh, get access, early access to all my games. So that includes Gem Wizards Tactics right now. Um, and you're going to be getting, we're going to, right, there's sort of just been sporadic updates that go, go out to the patrons, but there's going to be, um, starting soon, there's going to be a release schedule. So like every two weeks, I think, something around that, uh, there's going to be a new build of Gem Wizards Tactics. And then I can start amping that up a little bit further and further once the game becomes uh, a little bit more, uh, more and more playable. So yeah, those are pretty much the updates. Um, make sure to come by twitch.tv slash Keith Bergun. Um, I'm doing a two to three hour show like basically every single day. Um, so I hope to see you there. And without any further uh, housekeeping updates, let's get into the main conversation that I wanna have with you today about emergent complexity. Okay, so a starting place for emergent complexity is to think about um, what is not emergent complexity. And the opposite of emergent complexity would be inherent complexity. That would be just like the rules to the game. So um, an example of an inherent complexity in, uh, in chess would be uh, that it's an 8x8 eight eight grid, right? The grid itself is a, is a rule. Or the knight, the pattern that the knight can move. The fact that there is a knight, that there's different units um, in chess pieces that have different abilities. That, those are all inherent complexity. Everything you see listed in like the rule book um, for a game uh, or a design document is inherent complexity. Emergent complexity comes out in the dynamics of the play. So when the game is being played, what happens as a result of these rules? How, how many possible states, meaningful states are possible to be uh, to come out of the combination of these rules. Um, in a way, emergent complexity kind of functions as like free extra complexity that comes as a result of the rules. Um, also, when you add uh, inherent complexity in something like, let's say, League of Legends is more characters. The most inherent complexity type of complexity is, uh, if that makes sense, is component. I call it componential complexity. That's things like characters, extra cards, extra items, things that um, maybe the game can function without, but that add new ways of playing with the thing. So in League of Legends, um, a character might be uh, componential complexity. And by the way, componential complexity is a type of inherent complexity. It's, it's just, it's even more inherent complexity-ish and less, it's further away from emergent complexity. However, you know, a certain character, like League of Legends could make a character that has way more emergent complexity than the other characters and thereby sort of adds to the overall emergent complexity of the game. So, you know, components, rules, like I said, emergent complex complexity depends on inherent complexity. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's neither of these is better than the other. Um, you A good system... Uh, a good strategy game, I think, needs both. It needs a lot of inherent complexity and it needs a lot of emergent complexity. I think that um, a lot of game designers um, kind of maybe overly fetishize the idea of a system that has very few rules 
and lots of emergent complexity, like a very elegant system in that way. And I do think that that elegance is important, but I think that you actually, it's a mistake to think that you want very few rules. I think you want a lot of rules and then elegance from there, making even like a huge possibility space. I, th I really think that's what you want. Um, and why do you want that? Why is emergent complexity valuable? Well, one reason is it, it is pretty hard to achieve depth without at least some emergent complexity. Um, and it's very hard to achieve great depth without, I would say, a lot of emergent complexity. Emergent complexity allows for surprising events. So the system behaving in ways that nobody really like thought was possible. Um, and that is part of what makes strategy game design hard because the game designer literally didn't know you could do these things. Like in Oro, for example, a game which has pretty decently high emergent complexity, I think. Um, we'll talk about why that, why I think that is. Um, people do things all the time in Oro that I never thought of when I was designing the game. I obviously designed the game like hoping that there would be emergent complexity. And there's, of course, things that you can do, and we're going to talk about some of those, things that you can do that would um, lean uh, a system towards having more emergent complexity. Um, but uh, in terms of individual things that players do, there's no way I could have predicted that, you know, all of the possible emergent uh, outcomes and, and uh, weird events that could happen. And what's great about that kind of a, a landscape when you have the, uh, the ability to have those kinds of surprising weird events all the time is that it allows players to be creative with their play, which as I talk about a lot, creativity or as we've talked about playfulness are really important in strategy games uh, to keep them that 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 to to like sort of hone in on what's really great and special about strategy games. A lot of existing strategy games feel more like puzzles or they feel more like contests in that uh, it's really like sort of just you're um, managing very small marginal differences in, you know, optimization. Um, and part of that, the reason for that is that there isn't this feeling that I could just like do some really crazy cool thing that um, that would like, you know, circumvent uh, this whole process. Uh, on my show, we uh, watched a uh, we read an article by our uh, longtime user, Dasik, about uh, a number of topics, but one of the concepts that Dasik talked about was the idea of incomparables. And so, like, if you think about something like XCOM, which you're going to talk about in this episode, in a lot of situations, like, all you can do is move and shoot. And so within that space, there's a pretty limited number of things that you could really try to do. And now you can imagine that in XCOM, maybe you have this other verb, which is not comparable directly to moving or shooting. And maybe you have two or three other verbs, and maybe you can combine them. And you can create this action that you can do that is just very difficult to compare in terms of its valuation, strategic valuation, to um, move, like moving your guys up in some optimal way and shooting or whatever. Um, so, so that's really the, one of the biggest reasons that emergent complexity, and we, we sort of said this already, it's hard to achieve depth without emergent complexity, but it's also, it's a way to help resist solution. I mean, that's another, just a different way of putting it, really. I think emergent complexity really 
gets to the heart of what strategy games are all about. And um, none of the other forms um, really rely on that in quite the same way. Um, toys actually more than the other forms have a bit more of that, but not necessarily. It really depends on the type of toy. Some toys have a lot of immersion complexity though. Um, and I think that a lot of, uh, strategy game designers could look to toys as a place or, you know, sandbox games or whatever, as a place to help them kind of break up out of these, um, very, um, limited palette of interactivity. So I've been kind of abstract so far. So let's talk about some actual concrete examples so that people know what I'm talking about and how we can make things better, maybe. So I'm going to go into two um, broad categories of games, uh, strategy games, and talk about their emergent complexity or not. Recently, I've been playing a lot of tactics games, you know, squad tactics-y kind of games, um, partially because it's like research for Gem Wizards tactics, but um, partially because like they're just the kinds of games that I do like to play, um, historically at least. So these would be games like XCOM, Advance Wars, Fire Emblem, um, the recent Gears Tactics, Final Fantasy Tactics, um, most games with the word tactics in the uh, title, uh, Panzer General, Fantasy General. Uh, recently I played Wargroove, which is very much like Advance Wars. So these are the kinds of games I'm talking about, where you have a bunch of units on a grid and you're moving them around and you're like fighting a little war. Most of these games have a very, very simple types of limited types of interaction. Um, XCOM, as an example, particularly the 2012 XCOM, but also this kind of applies to the original. It's uh, you can move and you can shoot and you can uh, sometimes you have like a special ability here or there, but the special abilities are usually pretty simple. They're usually like heal or throw a grenade. Once in a while you get some that have other behaviors, but for the most part, the vast majority of playing XCOM is moving and shooting. And so what it what it really becomes, and, and not just that, but also like there's a whole thing of like attacking first in all these games, in Advance Wars and in XCOM in particular, really what it becomes is kind of this attack first puzzle. Um, you have a grid and you see where the aliens are at some point, so the, the bad guys or whatever, and you basically just need to position your guy so that you get to shoot first. And that's, you know, and, and then there's cover, you know, be behind cover as much as you can. And it's just a puzzle to do that. It actually has, it feels like it has more in common with a block moving puzzle than it does with, and it's randomly generated to some extent, but it still feels more like, you know, um, Sudoku or something where there's just a, just a, um, like a, a series of calculations you have to do on this narrow scope in order to just be the person who attacks first. These games are also almost entirely dependent on inherent complexity. So different monster types, different guns, different unit types in the case of Advance Wars. But I mean, even when there's different unit types, it almost always just uh, comes back to just being, you know, the attack first puzzle. And, and I just want to say that like tactics games don't have to be that. I think we're very locked into a certain idea of what these kinds of games are like. And there may be like, you know, business reasons for that, because like there's a very there's a probably a very finite number of people out there who are into those kinds of games. And uh, I think, 
you know, with something like Wargroove as an example, certainly, it really felt to me like they were like, okay, we just need to get the Advanced Wars fans to play this game. Um, and that's it. Like, that's literally our entire mission. Um, and because, so it plays a lot like Advanced Wars, like very, very, very much like Advanced Wars. And other than that, it's just, I mean, if you subtract Advance Wars from it, you have almost le- nothing left. And, you know, the, the XCOM 2012 was, I guess, kind of like a hit uh, for this sort of genre. So it seems like everything is kind of uh, just sort of emulating that. A lot of games since XCOM 2012 came out feel like they're just emulating that. Which is sort of unfortunate because XCOM 2012 was a real step backwards in terms of interaction from XCOM 1995, which felt more like this loose, roguelike kind of thing where you can pick anything up, you can destroy anything, you can throw anything at any time. Um, not to say that the original XCOM had all this emergent complexity, but it certainly had more possibility space for weird, edge casey behavior type stuff. Another example I want to talk about is... CCGs, um, which have an even more pronounced version of the same problem. Every CCG I've played, and I've been playing a lot more CCGs over the last couple of years just because you kind of can't not. Um, they just launched Legends of Runeterra, um, so I'll be playing that now. Um, I played a bunch of Gwent recently when that came out on Android, um, and uh, I, I went through a Hearthstone phase. Uh, really, really did not enjoy it. Um but CCGs have an even more pronounced version of this same problem. There's 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 no space or anything really, so there's just these very direct connections, and it's very much just an optimization uh, puzzle. Assuming that you have you know a deck that that is comparable to the opponent's deck and all of that, it's really just an optimization. It's a it's an optimization problem. Uh, and then, of course, it, there's a ton of randomness, like just an incredible amount of randomness. You're drawing cards out of a 40-card uh, deck and all that kind of stuff. And so we're going to talk about CCGs and tactics games and how you could add emergence to them. Let's let's talk about CCGs first. We'll do the second one first. Um, how would you add go about adding emergent complexity to a CCG? So first of all, it's always fraught when you try to do these thought experiments about like adding blank to an existing game like you can't you just can't do that it's not going to work right so we're thinking sort of theoretically about okay what if we wanted to make a ccg like game that that had emergent complexity and that's something i'm actually interested in because you know i think ccg is is a language that a lot of people speak and i think um you know something like david serlin's codex to me shows and maybe less so something like feria to me show um, that you can kind of do something with this model. Like it's not, uh, it's not doomed entirely. Um, I do think that the whole customizable aspect and the collectible aspect certainly of CCGs is unsalvageable from a strategy game design perspective. But, um, but the, the basic dynamics of like a monster basher type of thing where you're playing cards down and they sort of fight each other. Um, there, there might be something there that can be worked with. So, so to add emergence to a CCG or make an emergent CCG, let's say, it's first of all, I would say it's better to just start think, start thinking of it as just a card game. Don't think about CCG. I think there's so much baggage that comes with that, but just think of it as like a card game, a two-player, you know, monster basher card game, if you like. Some examples of things that these games could have that they almost never do have is, I mean, for one thing, thinking about 
core mechanisms or, you know, interestingly, CCGs are interesting in that they actually, um, they have a ton of emergent, uh, sorry, inherent complexity, but it's almost all componential complexity. The systemic complexity, we talked about structure a lot on a recent uh, episode of the Clockwork Game Dev Show. And that structural complexity in CCGs is almost always almost nothing. Uh, there's almost very few rules. So as an example of something that you could add to a CCG, what about some kind of action that would trigger multiple actions to happen at once? So you could like group actions together. Um, a classic example of this would be like role selection, where you have like, you know, in Race for the Galaxy, you have like six roles or so. And every turn you can pick a role or pick two roles and uh, everyone does all those roles. That's the kind of thing that um, by combining things together, you can get these weird effects that you wouldn't be able to do if just you're playing cards and then attacking with your cards. Um, it, it creates sometimes creating an indirectness. So, um, one of the issues with CCGs is they're very direct, right? So like you play a card and you literally have your cards attack things or your card itself attacks things in the case of spells. By having, um, you can imagine a, a role selection CCG where, yeah, you're playing cards maybe and stuff, but in order to have them attack, you have to play the attack card. I mean, that's probably the worst example of a role selection, but like also resources. Um, some kind of resource that means several different things based on where it is, uh, whether you have a lot of it or a little of it should both mean things. And we're going to talk a little bit about that um, in the next section. But um, some kind of... Well, I'm going to call them non-tally resources. And then also um, some kind of space or spatial meaning. There's been an increasing number of CCGs that have added like a grid that uh, units can sort of move around on. Fairy is one example. Um, I think Duelist was an example of that. Um, and I would caution people that just adding a grid, quote unquote, um, definitely doesn't do the trick. But it's uh, it's a start, and we'll talk about that too. Why? What is the relationship between grids uh, and uh, and emergent complexity? I think that's a that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, in the case of a tactics game, some things that you could do to sort of add uh, emergent complexity, and this is something I'm thinking about a lot recently, obviously, because I'm making a tactics game, and I'm finding myself sitting there and looking at this system and being like. Does this have emergent complexity? It's not always like easy to, I mean, first of all, it's hard to design, to design emergent complexity into a system just straight up, but it's also like not always easy to tell uh, whether a system even has it. I mean, part of part of that reason is that it's, it's sort of difficult to play Gem Wizards Tactics right now because it's, you know, there's like bugs and things are janky and sort of weird. So, um, but I, like, I think it has the ingredients for uh, emergent complexity. I think... My, my sense is, as a designer, that those, those are there. But it's hard to, it's hard to really know um, until, you know, I feel like the moment you know it is when you watch someone else play it and you see them do stuff that you're like, oh, oh my God, I would never have thought of that. That's the brilliant. That's a really cool, creative move that you just did, player. Sometimes you can get that in your own play. Uh, and so, but anyway, I just, I've been iterating on Gem Wizards tactics a lot and thinking about um, so like I just, uh, like in the last month, I, I revamped major parts of the business demons, the first faction to make them more emergent and to fix other issues as well. And I'm going to keep doing that. So it's going to be a process, but what, so let's think about what is that process? Um, in a tactics game, 
how how can you like if we want to take advanced wars and we want to have it be more emergent and less just be a shoot for shoot first contest one thing i've talked before about actor removal right and this is something that applies to ccgs as well um one of the really sad things about actor removal and the way that we design games where, you know, like monster bashers or whatever, where, you know, enemies come at you and you shoot them and then they disappear. That's really counterproductive in terms of like building meaning into a system and and things like emergent complexity, because, you know, that unit came near you and then you acted upon it in some way and then that unit count like responds in some way and then you act upon it again and with all the interactions that happen between just two units your unit and an enemy unit um you're building up this like lattice work especially if uh you do some of the other things i'm about to talk about but you have the potential to be like building on you could think of it as like a relationship or something but you're building on these two actors and their positions and their history of positions. And um, whereas when you can just like blow up the unit in like having by having one or two of your units shoot at it and it just disappears off the map, there's just such a lost opportunity there. And I've talked before many times about actor removal and the problems with it. But uh, one of the problems with it is it becomes hard to um, pursue emergent complexity. It's not to say that if you if you have uh, if you don't have actor removal, that means you will have emergent complexity. It's a necessary but not sufficient uh, component. So, in the case of my game in Gem Wizards Tactics, it's really hard. It's actually pretty hard to like kill units. You can, uh, and you will, uh, but there's no like one shotting. Almost never, uh, because uh, there's actually a fundamental rule in the game that when you do units all have ten health, and when you do more than Four damage, the damage is capped at four unless they can't retreat. The damage gets capped at four and they, they retreat. And uh, and then, of course, all units can spend a turn, uh, a whole, all their movement to heal up any of their uh, scuffs, which is like a soft type of wound. And we can talk about that uh, more. Um, probably in another episode, I'll do an episode just on Gem Wizard Tactics. I don't want to get too much into the details of that. But the point is, it's hard to kill units in Gem Wizards Tactics. And units have a lot of ability to just walk away, heal up, and come back in. Um, so actor removal is is less of a thing. Um, I would still love to continue to think about what could it mean when you do kill a unit. Maybe that a unit dies and then it becomes something different. Something I loved about Oro 2.0, the one that came to Steam was that we added the idea of the monster tiles. When you bump a monster into the water, they create a new tile there. And um, that means that now that's no longer a water tile. So that has continued to add to the meaning and the space of the, the game and actually does add some emergent complexity possibilities. So some of the other things, uh, some of the things to look for for emergent complexity. One of them is... Um, so if you start with like a grid or space of some kind, and space is a good starting place for these kinds of things because it gives you a good um, like uh, uh, terrain, I guess. Well, it is a terrain uh, in which to do something like, for example, special abilities that have shapes to them or lasting effects. Really, it's like clustering is a big part of emergent complexity a lot of the time. Not always. 
Um, but like uh, in a lot of games, like in the Brick Road games, a lot of times you'll have like abilities that will cast in a certain um, or the brain brain good games games. Uh, you'll have abilities that'll cast in a certain shape or a certain pattern, like a Tetris piece shape on the map, and that is similar to what I was talking about with um, role selection, right? We're like clustering a bunch of things together, thereby um, creating this uh, possibility for, you know, triggering two things at once in a surprising way that causes something weird to happen. Things that have lasting effects. So uh, if you could like leave an impassable object somewhere as you do your ability, like so your ability, let's say it damages somebody, but then it also creates like a like an immovable pillar behind them. Um, that's that's an example. Changing the terrain, like having terrain that means different things. This applies, of course, to tactics games. So like it, you could have like fire that that spreads things that have their own behaviors. Um, in, in Gem Wizards Tactics, there's fire and it will spread sort of randomly like it has its own little cellular automata to it. Um, and after it burns, it'll become it'll create a new like burn tile. Um, which has its own properties. So like having things that you leave and create around the map that have their own behaviors is good for emergent complexity because you can get all these weird uh, sort of like side effects um, from your abilities. But the biggest thing that I want to talk about is <clears throat> I'm calling it like non-tally resources. Resor these are resources, and I mentioned this a little bit briefly earlier, but resources which can go up and down throughout a match which mean, meaning you can gain them and you can lose them throughout the match, um, and which there's a positive and negative trait to both having more and to having less. So what are what do not count as non-tally resources? Health. It's always better to have more health than less health, you know, except in some very narrow circumstances. Maybe you have like one character ability on one character or something that's like, oh, I... I get a certain bonus when I have less health, right? Um, but but no, fundamentally, we want these non-tally resources are like inherently as part of the rules of the game, there is something better about having uh, less and there's something better about having more. So it's like a double-edged sword. Um, score is a, is a tally resource. It is not a non-tally resource. You always want to have more score than less. Gold is similar. You always want to have more gold than less. Um, some people might get confused by that. And, you know, for example, like, you know, in StarCraft, you, do, you don't want to, quote, have a lot of gold in your supply. Like you want to be spending your gold, of course. Uh, but that gold that you spent, you could still say that you like have it in a sense or that minerals, whatever. Um, you've just converted it into Marines. Like you want to have as much gold as possible. There's no situation where you're like, oh, I could get an expansion. Um, and I know it would be safe, but I don't want more minerals. Like, that's not a thing in StarCraft. So so uh, minerals in StarCraft is a tally resource. Health. Uh, you always want to have more health. Health and score are actually very similar. And I don't think people notice this as much as maybe they should. But, like, you know, uh, if in something like a fighting game, uh, you could change the meaning of... Uh, of uh, you could just say, like, the first person to 10... Uh, or like 100 points wins, and every time you hit the opponent, you get some points. So you can see in that case, it's it's actually the same. It doesn't make a difference. So um, health and score are both things that I actually want to push people away from, and I've been talking a lot about score systems 
in games um, and why we should be skeptical of them. So what are some examples of these non-tally resources that I'm talking about? So one of the reasons that I do bring up grids a lot, or space, um, is that a unit's position is often a non-tally resource itself. So if I, if I push my unit up closer towards the enemies, that is both A, good, because my unit has more capacity to attack the enemies, but B, bad, because the enemies have more ability to attack me. There's 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 uh, a middle ground where I can go in the middle kind of and then we have like sort of a shared I can maybe sort of attack you you can maybe sort of attack me um, or I can back off and so at every stage at every step in that uh, continuum there's different level of meaning um, in terms of uh, you know how vulnerable my unit is and how vulnerable your units are to mine and then when you add multiple units in there that's where you can start getting some of these like complex relationships. Um, another example I always talk about is David Serlin's Puzzle Strike Gem Pile. Um, so most games like Puzzle Strike have either a race to victory points, as in the case of Dominion. Puzzle Strike, if you don't know, is a um, deck building two player. Well, actually, you can play three or four players, but most people play two players. Um, uh, card game, not a collectible card game. And uh, if you haven't played it, I recommend it. It's on Steam and whatnot but the instead of having health as you would in magic the gathering or victory points as you would in dominion which again as i've already established are kind of the same thing in many ways at least in terms of whether they're non-tally resources or not um puzzle strike gem pile is totally a non-tally resource in fact it's it's been one of the most inspiring things to me as a game designer i don't think most people who even have played puzzle strike and like it really um maybe understand how how um how significant that is so the gem pile i've probably talked about it like 10 times on this podcast before but like as you add more gems to your gem pile you are getting closer to losing the game because if you end your turn with uh 10 or more gems in your gem pile you lose but at the same time the gems are also kind of like your ammo with which you can attack the opponent so um and there's also another thing where uh the higher your gem pile is the more cards you draw every turn so there's a few different, actually, um, like double-edged sword dynamics going on with that gem pile. It is not just better to have more gems or less gems. It's totally dependent on the state of the game. So that's a good example. Another example that I could just kind of like come up with um, would be like, let's say there were like armor cubes you could pick up. And every time you pick up an armor cube... You, your unit slows down, like in a real-time game, maybe in StarCraft or or in like a real-time... I'm not sure what kind of game. I guess like a... like a, Actually, it could be a turn-based game with continuous space. So imagine like, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good example of that. What comes to mind for me is like Temple of Elemental Evil, which does have tactical combat, but uh, it's kind of a weird one because it's like a and d based game. But the idea is just basically you could pick up these armor cubes that are all around the area and they would give you some armor right so they protect you and but they'd also slow you down the more armor cubes you have and you could have like zero to i don't know 20 armor cubes right and so you become more and more immobile as you have these armor cube more and more of these armor cubes but also you uh, take less and less damage so that's just an example of a non-tally resource that doesn't mean that there's emergent complexity at all i mean that's not that's not the best example because armor is kind of one of these um spreadsheet values as i 
to often call them. Um, and that's the last thing I want to talk about is, is something like spreadsheet values, uh, which most tally resources are, but also a lot of stats are. Um, that's another thing you'll see in a lot of tactical games is a bunch of stats. And when two units are on a, on a field in like a tactical game and they are fighting each other and they have all these different stats, it's like there's these two kind of hidden um, spreadsheets that are just kind of smashing into each other and interacting with each other. Uh, there's usually some randomness involved as well, but whether or not there is, the point is that there's just these two big complicated equations that are hitting each other, basically. And this, the, all those spreadsheet values, so things like your dexterity and your, you know, constitution and your, like, whatever, your ammo and your damage type and all these different um, sort of enum things and, you know, integers in, in, inside your character they just sort of smash into the other other character that you're attacking or that's attacking you. What I always try to tell people to do is take those spreadsheet values, find a way to put them on the map, right? Put them on the, the grid if you have one. Or if you don't have a grid, but you have other systemic rules, how can you express something like, um, like having high defense as... In, in a way throughout the system rather than having it be this spreadsheet thing where you just have like this separate little spreadsheet that's associated with your character how can you take those values and apply them to the broader game um and that's hard that's the process of game design um but honestly when i play a lot of these ccgs and when i play a lot of these um tactics game i feel like the process of game design those kinds of questions has not been engaged with really um and you know i think there's reasonable reasons for that um when you go to like let's say someone listened to this podcast and they were like inspired to um you know they agreed with things i'm saying and they were like man i'm inspired to go make a thing that has a lot of emergent complexity in this way and then they sit down to do it and they could spend a year working on something and it, would, it could kind of just not work you know that happens um i feel like that's sort of what happened to me with escape the omnacronom and that happens a lot i mean um, it's, it's a big risk. And so these companies that have these budgets and stuff, like they can't, you know, A, I don't, I don't think that they necessarily, it's even on their radar to do it. But even if they did have, you know, even if I was working there, I don't know that I could, uh, tell the, the people investing the money like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a sure thing, pay me to design this thing and then it'll be great and it'll do really well. Like, I mean that those are two different levels, right? There's the, it'll be great. And then it'll do well is another level because it could be great and not do well. Um, or it could just be not great and also not do, do well. So there's a lot of reasons why these companies with these budgets um, don't take those risks. But um, but I think for you know the people who want to listen to this show, a lot of people are interested in just like uh, sort of the discipline of design uh, for the purpose of you know, uh, critique analysis and also your own personal prototypes and who knows, you know, I mean, somebody might actually be able to at some point have a real budget and take a real chance and succeed. And I think that when that happens, um, somebody's going to make something that's like a game changer in these fields of, you know, tactics games, CCGs. Um, and it's going to be like the sort of thing where, you know, when you play a game that has emergent complexity, um, I think I think it's hard to imagine maybe going back 
to not that. And that's been a big problem with my experience of playing more modern consolified games. Uh, think when I'm thinking back to um, you know older games, which really did have more emergent complexity. Um, this sort of applies to toys and RPGs and things like that. Um, if you think about something like um, Morrowind versus uh, you know Elder Scrolls Three versus Elder Scrolls Four, or if you think about Ultima Six and Seven versus any Bethesda game, <laughs> um, or well maybe not any. I mean Daggerfall is pretty pretty uh, pretty wild and loose. Um, and this, yeah, I'm sort of rambling a little bit here, but, but it's sort of that playfulness concept, um, that's kind of related to emergent complexity. Um, I guess not all emergent complexity is playfulness. Um, that might be something to explore and think about, but yeah, um, I'm interested to hear your ideas about, um, how you pursue emergent complexity in games. And also, am I crazy for thinking that Advance Wars has like no emergent complexity? Like, I, my mind is boggled. I played a lot of Advance Wars. I played, like, I think all of them. And in fact, I think I beat all of them. I really liked the Advance Wars games. But then going back and playing Wargroove, it has struck and struck me. It's, it's, I haven't played Advance Wars in many years. But it struck me playing Wargroove like, oh my god, yeah, there's like no emergent complexity in this at all. It's just a it's just a attack first puzzle. Is that your experience as well? Let me know. Um, and yeah, uh, that's about all I had for today. Um, please come by the Discord and chat with us and uh, also my daily show, uh, which by the way, whenever we do game design conversations, I've been uploading those to my page, my YouTube page, the same one where uh, you can find three minute game design in those shows. So um, yeah, thank you for listening. And this has been the Clockwork Game Design Show. And I will see you again next, the next time there's a first Thursday of the month. That's my new release schedule and I've been sticking to it so far. And yes, be safe and have a good time. See ya. Thank you for listening to today's show. This show is made possible by the patrons at patreon.com slash Keith Burgun.